0: On today's podcast, Something Different, we have an interview with Kim Browning, an attorney out of Michigan. She is an elder law estate planning specialist, and recent headlines being filled with news about Britney Spears' personal situation has brought or introduced the term guardianship to the everyday lexicon. What I thought I would do is talk with Kim, ask her her thoughts about how guardianship works and your overall plan for your family's future. Hope you enjoy. The pop culture world, Britney Spears, and her guardianship case has become headlines. Everyday talk. Today, I thought that we would switch course here from our normal set of interviews and go to an expert. I welcome Kim Browning. She runs Great Lakes Family Probate and Estates to give us some insight. Kim, welcome.
1: Hi, Jay. Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: Well, it's a pleasure to have you. So Kim, why don't we talk about you for a few moments? I know that uh, you, know, you may be uncomfortable, but I generally like to provide some background about you. So you're an attorney and you have a number of different areas of expertise. What are some of the, just a few
1: of them? Sure, Jay. Um, I practice primarily in estate planning. I also practice in elder law. And special needs planning, probate, probate litigation. So probate is kind of a large umbrella, but it does deal with guardianships, conservatorships, uh, litigation regarding wills, will contests.
0: Generally speaking, for pers- for families in the without a special needs situation or a guardianship situation, for the everyday viewer, listener, how early is it? That someone should be considering, you know, deploying an attorney with your background?
1: Well, that's a very good question. Um, Honestly, many people put off coming to see an estate planning attorney for many reasons. One of them is they think that if they put their estate plan together, um, it might be jinxing them, right? Or (laughs) um, some people avoid coming to an attorney because they believe they have to have a large estate, And that's really a primary reason that people stay away. But really what people don't understand is you're not just going to an estate planning attorney to protect wealth and to make sure that your wealth is passed on to the people that you decide you want to receive that, but it's also incapacity planning. Mm -hmm. People don't prepare for incapacity and a large percentage of our population that become incapacitated, that need to be under a guardianship um, are younger people that have sudden uh, medical experiences or automobile accidents, closed head injuries, and without putting powers of attorney in place, an individual is then forced into the court.
0: Generally speaking, as far as, and you're located in Detroit, is that right? So just, and I know this, but for our, for our viewing audience, You're located in Detroit. Do the rules change much from state to state?
1: Well, yes. Um, That's one of the misconceptions, especially with the Britney Spears case that's happening right now, is people think guardianship laws are the same across the country, but they're not. Hmm. Guardianship laws are governed by each state. So what we have in Michigan is different than what what there is in California. So for instance, taking the Britney Spears case, she has her father who's her guardian in charge of her personal decisions, her medical decisions, as well as managing her business affairs and her finances. In Michigan, our system um, is different. Our guardians are in charge of having legal authority over the individual's care, custody and control. That means a legal guardian chooses where an individual is to live, who mm. which doctors they're to go see, and the medications that they take. They also can control the day-to-day um, activities that that individual has and their training. Um, you know, if they if they're going to pursue a vocation. Um, You know, vocational training, or if they're going to continue with uh, education, that's what the guardian controls. But in Michigan, we don't have the guardian control multi million dollar estates like Britney Spears. We have a conservatorship that's appointed, and the conservator then manages the business and finances of the individual. Now, sometimes the conservator and the guardian can be the same people but it's not required.
0: So so you you dove quite deep into the weeds, Ken. So if we back up just a few, you know, a couple of steps, why don't you describe, since we're diving straight into it, Britney Spears case specifically, of course, lots of headlines, you know, Britney Spears been, you know, a figure in pop culture and pop music for, you know, decades at this point. But what are some of the basic facts of what have gone on for those people who have not kept up to date?
1: Well, actually, as far as the Britney Spears case goes, um, what happened is she's been under under guardianship Mm. for approximately 18 years. And it happened subsequent to a mental breakdown. And I believe an emergency guardian was put in place and then another hearing took place and then a, a permanent guardian was appointed.
0: Was appointed by the court based on somebody's motion, or do, how does that happen? Or would that in theory happen? It, it was just that's just the normal course of business that a judge would decide this, or somebody would have to actually file to try to become that put in that position.
1: Right. So I'm going to speak about Michigan law because, okay, this sure, is where, where sure. I'm licensed. Sure. But in Michigan, an individual who is interested in the person's well-being can file a petition in the probate court in which that individual who's to be protected resides. And in that petition, there needs to be specific um, information provided. And a physician statement actually is um, something that should be attached to it that details why that individual needs a guardian and specifically what their mental deficiencies are. Hmm. And once that petition is filed, the individual who's going to be under the guardianship must be personally served this petition. So they are aware of it, along with the notice of hearing because a hearing absolutely must be held. A guardianship does strip away you know, very important constitutional rights. So Mm -hmm. the, the probate courts do take that very seriously. And the level of proof that must be demonstrated in the hearing and leading up to the hearing is clear and convincing evidence that that individual needs a guardian.
0: I see. And so when they have a guardian and a guardian is appointed in Michigan, Something that where you practice. Is that for all every aspect, meaning their financial and their health decisions as well? Why don't you give us a little bit more detail about, you know, what that would entail or what that how that definition is defined more specifically in Michigan?
1: Sure. So there isn't a bright line rule as to when mm-hmm. a conservator needs to be appointed to okay. manage the estate.
0: Okay. So yes, I've, I've screwed up the terms, which is you know what <laughs> you know non legal persons would, you know are you know I'm sure very very apt to do. So conservatorship there is to, is really to preserve asset quality etc. But who's to make the other? I mean you you had mentioned other locations where even their vocation what their daily activities are like, is that the same degree here? Or do I have it totally confused?
1: You, you don't have it totally confused. And I think what, um, what we need to clarify is the people who are under guardianships, okay? Um, that is one of the misconceptions and, and you know misideas about what a guardianship is and who it's for. So first we have guardianships generally for elderly people, people who have dementia, people who have experienced a stroke and can no longer make, you know, informed decisions for themselves. So family members are going to petition to make the decisions for the appointment of guardian for them. Then you have developmentally disabled individuals. So you have people who have grown up, um, you know, mentally disabled people, um, you know, with down syndrome or um, other ailments. And, those individuals, if they don't have the mental capacity to put together a power of attorney or patient advocate to appoint a person to make medical decisions for them, then a guardian must be appointed at age 18. So that guardian at age 18 then will make sure that that individual is in a group home or in a safe setting and then help with choosing vocational activities um, and and you know, where a person actually works, some people can work. So that's what the guardian does in those situations. And then we have this other group that, you know, people don't understand that we talked about a little bit, 34% of guardianships in this state are for people who are under the age of 60 who have mental illness or sudden mental um, incapacity caused by you know, sudden events like an automobile accident. Okay. So for this very large pot group of pop, you know, population of people, sometimes the guardianship is put in place an emergency basis, and may might be a limited guardianship as opposed to a full guardianship, and might get to the point where it should be terminated. So this is the category that Britney Spears would fall in. Right. right? She had right. a mental breakdown, mm-hmm. and. It, her father was appointed as guardian. So then you fast forward 18 years later, right. and she's been able to produce multiple albums. And, you know, she's been very successful in Las Vegas sure. and, you know, has been very, um, appears to be competent. She's been a judge, you know, on a television show. So right. you have somebody who is is working and appears to be very competent. And then you question, well, how can she possibly be under a concern, Guardianship—it's considered a guardianship.
0: I I was shocked. I I I couldn't couldn't believe it. it. Right,
1: but we don't—we we we only know what the media shows us, right? Um, Okay. And I don't know—I don't know all the details. I haven't looked at any of the court documents, but this Britney Spears, um, you know, guardianship—it certainly has captivated everyone's attention because you look at it, and it really, truly is. A real life fairy tale. You have the princess of pop, who has everything going for her. She's got, you know, beauty, success, talent, all this going for it. Yet she is under the control of her father. So it has caused, um, you know, miscommunication, misinformation out there. Um, but again, people have to, you know, understand that each state is different, each case is different. And what happened in her particular circumstance, I don't know what her medical records show. Um, those are things that, of course, are going to be kept under seal and quiet and not produced. And she doesn't want, now that she's expressed that she no longer wants the conservatorship, I'm sorry, the guardianship to continue. Right. Um, she's entitled to have, you know, her counsel and, and you know, for the procedure going forward, but... She's requesting not to have a health evaluation. Well, that's what controls a guardianship, right? Mm. Is, is an individual's health and their ability to make decisions for themselves.
0: How would a judge in that instance? And, you know, of course, this is some speculation involved, obviously. Uh, I mean, it seems just to a layperson, everyday person that I am, you know, if. If the judge needs to have a full set of facts and I'm not willing to turn over health, vital health information, that seems like a pretty important component to my ability to make decisions to determine my future, no?
1: Absolutely. And I can tell you that in the state of Michigan, the probate judges here will require possibly independent medical examination.
0: You would think. Um,
1: there's going to be a full um, you know, d- ability to have discovery. And most um, counsel will request mediation so that some um, agreement can be made amongst the parties. But also in the state of Michigan, the judges have to try to um, minimize the amount of control because they want to maximize the individual's independence. So in the instance that a limited guardianship is appropriate, that's what the judge is supposed to order. So guardianships are not all or nothing. It can be tailored to the individual's needs. So for instance, Brittany's Guardianship. Well, I, I can't speak to California law, but if she were here in Michigan, okay. the right. the judge would be able to then say, "Well, Brittany, you've been very successful. You've been able to deal with your own managers and, and the public, and, sure. and and you present yourself well. So we're going to allow you to have, you know, some control over your finances, over what you do daily, you know, uh, because I believe that she's um, under curfew." <laughs> and she's not able to do what she wants to do as far as leaving in Paris. Well, I am sure that some of that is her father's uh, opinion about her safety. Um, But I think the judge would have to look at all the facts and make a determination based on all those facts that must be presented in court.
0: I think it's an interesting fact that you've brought up because it's something that I didn't really, and I think I doubt that I'm alone, which is that your your idea of guardianship isn't necessarily a discrete on or off situation, that there are different grades in there that the judge has, or there that motions can actually be filed where some subset of you know guardianship if if you will is granted and other levels are not.
1: Absolutely. And you know, diving into that a little bit more Mm -hmm. that third group of people that we talked about, the 34% of people who have this sudden need to have a guardian because they have a sudden medical need. Um, you know, you're dealing with the population who have mental illness, people who have substance abuse. And again, the need might be temporary. So if somebody has an overdose and I can think of a particular client overdoses on um, a drug and there's the parents immediately go to the court and they get emergency guardianship so they can control that individuals, you know, their child's who's over the age of 18, their um, medical decisions and their care. Now, after that person recovers, maybe they go and have rehab, maybe they're gonna get their life back together. So a permanent long-term full guardianship isn't necessary. Right. And some of the Is laws, that... go, go ahead.
0: <clears throat> no, I was, I was just take... wondering whether or not that that's not determined in advance though, right? In other words, that in your situation, the one that you described, there's an overdose or some situation which you believe to be temporary, judge kind of understands it's going to be temporary and then grants it to a particular date, or it's just good until canceled,
1: if you will. It, it is usually good into a particular date because when it's under an emergency, it is a temporary guardianship that is put in place and then a hearing date is set. So then a hearing date is set and the judge will ask the status of the individual and whether a permanent guardianship would be needed. Um the person who's petitioning can actually then request that it be a permanent guardianship and a full guardianship, or maybe it'll just be a limited guardianship. And I've been in some cases where the judge the judges have a lot of discretion. I so see. they can go ahead and they can say, well, we're going to review this again in 90 days.
0: Okay. So the, so there can be time. So the judge could in in theory, set a date where, look, I need an update and then reconvene. And in the absence of it, it kind of ends. Is that the way that a temporary situation occurs or is... Yes, Yes. a
1: a temporary guardianship will end because what the person is given, the person who's appointed as guardian are letters of guardianship. And the letters of guardianship have a specific date and they have a specific... um, designation as to what they can do, you know, it it can be that they're just able to um, talk to the doctors and make sure that they can administer the medications, but they're not going to change an individual's residency. Okay.
0: And as far as you know, from the facts that you've seen or read in the press and things like that, what's happened with Britney Spears? So the, or is it so different that it can't really be compared? I mean, we've talked from what you've said and maybe this isn't true in California, is it purely because state to state is this different or the principle kind of stays the same across the state? And I, and I know that individual states will have their own individual ways of approaching,
1: but. I, I don't believe um, that, you know, I think the reason what happened is Brittany stated, I no longer want a conservatorship. She had said that she didn't know that she could end it. And one of the most important things that I stated in the process is that Mm -hmm. the person who is going to be under the guardianship receives personal service of this. So at the time that they receive it, they can't object from the beginning. Okay. Um, So from the onset, if they object, the court will either appoint them an attorney or you know, if they don't have one appointed, um, but the individual can a- hire their own attorney, but the court will appoint an attorney for them to represent them in this, you know, in this whole hearing, in this whole process. Mm-hmm. So in the Britney situation, for whatever reason, she didn't realize that she could end the guardianship and she mm-hmm. changed counsel. And I guess it was with the change of counsel that she realized that, you know, she, can proceed with if not terminating but she could you know maybe get a limited guardianship
0: so there are still possibilities that and of course again you know we're speculating you know to a large degree that even in the absence i, I still find it like kind of hard to believe that you know in the absence of medical records you're the adjudicator <laughs> trying to make a judgment here how you'd be able to make any alterations really other than what implied evidence from the fact that she's b- been able to perform in concert and be a judge on you know, TV shows and things like that? Is that enough? I, I don't know. Without a medical record, I don't know, I'm
1: not sure. I don't know what her legal counsel is preparing to sure. present. Sure. Um, but it is gonna take a long time for this to play out.
0: It is. This seems like it's already been like years or something like that. <laughs> I
1: Well, you know, things do take time. And one of the things that they're going to be looking into is, you know, Brittany is alleging that her father um, breached his fiduciary duties. Sure. And, you know, that, a lot of that,
0: that you would suspect. Right. I mean, <laughs> immediately uh, fiduciary responsibility being breached by, you know, conservatorship or guardianship, whoever has controlled the money.
1: Well, okay. So let's get to that. In the state of Michigan, um, the guardian must prepare an annual report and that is reviewed by the judge. Okay. So the judge can either reappoint the guardian or that guardian can be removed. A conservator must prepare an annual accounting of all income receipts and all expenditures that have gone out. It must mm. be to the penny, it must balance. And that is presented to the judge in a hearing. Um, well, some of the some of the uh, jurisdictions, some of the counties actually don't um, make you have a hearing if their analysts have reviewed the accounting and they balance and they find that there's sufficient proofs to what has been um, attached to the accounting, then you actually don't have a hearing and, and the conservatorship's annual accounting is approved and the conservatorship continues. So Hmm. under the Britney Spears case, I don't know what's been accounted for, what hasn't been accounted for. I don't know if um, what her father is claiming to be reasonable compensation is truly reasonable compensation for what he... So those are the questions that are gonna be under review. And just because you're dealing with millions of dollars, you're dealing with all these variable issues, it's gonna take a while for them um, to go through the court process. When that kind of thing happens, I mean,
0: you know, in the past I've been asked by attorneys on when somebody wanted to end a marriage on, you know, information about access to Medicare, et cetera, et cetera, and, you know, how you split up the costs and things like that, are, in your experience in Michigan, at any rate, to the degree that you can comment, are the judges equipped to you know, read the data? Somebody presents them a, a set of financial facts. Do they then go get an expert witness to testify or to examine that, to look through the documents to actually give an opinion on whether or not, yes, these documents look like they're in order or, or is it just kind of anointed with holy water and on you go.
1: Oh, absolutely not anointing with holy water. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So, um, there I've seen many judges that grill the attorney. Um, what is this, you know, this lunch, this bar bill here, you know, how is it that the conservator, you know, I understand that they can have lunch when they're coming into town to, to take care of the, the individual, but, you know, a $50 bar bill is not appropriate. So the judges okay. actually do pick through it. They also have, you know, their own, you know, court attorneys or their clerks that assist with the um, review of these accountings. So um, depending upon the court, there's different people who do it. I mean, like I said, some counties have what they call analysts, sometimes okay. the judge's clerk, but they are scrutinized.
0: So, there is yep. staffing in place at the court already with this specific set of information and skill set to be able to interpret whatever reports are delivered to them?
1: Absolutely, because all of this takes place in the probate court. So, this is one of the specialties that the probate court handles. And if the handling attorney who's presenting this accounting can't answer the judge's questions, then the judge will not approve the accounting and maybe reset it for another hearing, allowing that individual to come forward with additional information or disallow the accounting. The accounting can be disallowed altogether.
0: Interesting. Okay, let's take a break from here, Kim, and we'll get back onto the next topics, all right? Great, thank you. Before we get back to the podcast, don't forget about GH2 Unfiltered www.gh2unfiltered.com There's still the free book offer. You get a free copy of the Maximize Your Medicare, the latest edition. I'll pay for postage anywhere in the lower 48 for first-time subscribers. Inside of GH2 Unfiltered is valuable information that I'm too reluctant due to its sensitivity, due to its sensitive nature to release in public In any form, whether that be on podcast, the book, or on YouTube. Once again, www.gh2unfiltered.com. So, Kim, describe this situation to me. Let's just say, for example, a someone middle-aged gets in a car accident as incapacitated or can't make a medical isn't in the condition to make a medical decision for themselves that person's married. What happens?
1: Okay, that is a common misconception of married people that they can speak for their spouse in making end of life decisions or even making just medical decisions. Um, hmm. the, no one can speak for another person. So you actually have to have legal authority. There are two ways to have legal authority. You can have a healthcare power of attorney that is drafted at a time when the person has mental capacity. Or if somebody doesn't have that, then you have to go to the court and get a guardianship.
0: Let's just say, for example, somebody didn't plan ahead, they didn't come to Kim for you know when they are able. Mm-hmm. And then they get in a situation. Now, all of a sudden, they can't make medical decisions. And then you need to have this emergency guardianship as you, the second of those two that you just described. Do I have it right?
1: Yes, Jay, you do.
0: Okay. And in that situation, how quickly did it, can the decision be made? Right? I mean, sometimes you need these medical health care decisions being made quickly, not, you know, after a month of planning, for example.
1: Right. So what happens is it's an emergency petition and the attorney walks right into the probate court with the petition that that day and goes before the judge that day, based on the fact that it is an emergency that, you know, actually end of life decisions, medical decisions must be made today.
0: Okay. So it can actually be expedited to that degree. Like there's not some going to be some like huge waiting period. And I don't mean to be encouraging the, our audience to, you know, not deal with it because then you'll just deal with it on emergency basis later, but more that it is possible if put into that position to get an emergency guardianship is if I've got you or if I've understood your comments correctly. Is that right?
1: That's right. But it does have to be a true emergency
0: situation. Okay. So now we've got this person back to the car accident victim. And now, for example, they're unmarried, but they have parents, for example. So now let's call them 30, 35 years old. What do the parents do?
1: The parents are frustrated because they want to be able to speak to the doctors and help make decisions. And I, I have a quick story. Um, my, I'm an estate planning attorney. I do this for a living. Hmm. My oldest ended up going off to Kalamazoo for her first year of college. And in the middle of winter, she got into an automobile accident. I got a phone call from her friends. So I drive white knuckled over to Kalamazoo, go to the hospital, and I'm told, "Nope, sorry, we can't give you any information. She's mm. 18, you know, no HIPAA, no powers of attorney, nothing put in place." So I had to wait, and it was very frustrating. So without powers of attorney put in place, no information is given to um, family members, and there is no authority to make medical decisions without a healthcare power of attorney. So a healthcare power of attorney, it's also called the patient advocate. A patient advocate can speak for somebody who's incapacitated to make medical decisions. Um, And along with this, you can also have, if if a person wants to make end-of-life decisions and put it in writing, they can specify whether or not they want to have a respirator, whether or not they want tube feeding, whether or not they want CPR. And as long as it's in writing and they appoint a person, you know, to do this, that's who the doctors are going to be conferring with. And they're going to be looking at this document
0: always wondering about this document does it have to be certified by the court
1: no no it's not presented to the court in any way okay it does have to be witnessed by two individuals who are not family members who are not caregivers um so i mean there's actually a really long list of people who cannot be witnesses to um this patient advocate it cannot be the point to patient advocate
0: i got you okay so what other challenges, generically speaking? So now we've got this, uh, your daughter was 18 at the time, but if she's 27, like quite a different set of problems and challenges. What are some of those from your experience in this type of situation?
1: Absolutely. So a lot of times uh, people in that age group, while well, we're finding out, um, you know, employers don't really provide medical insurance any longer. Um, And if individuals do not have the income available to them, they might not be insured. So a lot of people are on Medicaid. Um, Some people are just uninsured altogether. And when people come across to me wondering what they're going to do, how are they going to be able to make sure that this individual is going to get the medical attention that they need? That's when I send them to you, Jay. (laughs) And you
0: know their their paths are limited to some degree. I mean, it depends on the situation. I mean, first of all, the you know if if someone is twenty six or older, they're not able to be under their parents' coverage. Um, and actually, even adding them is not that simple. So after the fact, much like in your practice, Kim, you know, I always encourage persons to think of you know, how to get insurance, and especially with the Biden, what I call Biden care, meaning the Affordable Care Act enhanced version, if you will, as a response to COVID. You know, the reality is, is those enrollment deadlines, have you know, which are coming up, but have been expanded and access to an actual insurance, uh, compliant health insurance has improved. I don't think there's any question about that. Medicaid, of course, is, you know, an entirely different matter because of the fact that, you know, that is a financial means-based test with, you know, all, you know, you're, you're governed by state rules and Medicaid is as well, meaning eligibility is not a federal decision. It's one made by different States. And, you know, the reality is, is that I, I, the variance, the different outcomes in different locations and different situations is all over the map, literally all over the map. But certainly if they don't have a job, they, uh, well, it's been interesting because the government response to COVID has been so extreme that a lot of extra avenues that have been largely uh, unknown are being uncovered now meaning that persons who are unemployed for whatever reason at any point throughout this year they have access to health insurance so it's strange because you know our our little our example here of a car accident it's not necessarily the fact that they are a victim of an accident which is creating their eligibility but that it may be just a catalyst to ha- actually have were they properly informed before the accident? You see what I'm saying? And then this becomes the catalyst. To, oh, I need to find some extra facts, and then you know, many many exceptions you know can exist, largely and were largely that were either in place or as a result of the American Rescue Plan Act, which has, like I said widely in improved people's access to insurance. I guess for you more generally, as we back up the law, let's just say, for example, this becomes permanent, uh, a situation where the person cannot work, that is different because the person can, for example, apply for and possibly be accepted for a social security disability insurance. Mm -hmm. After that, there's Medicare eligibility prior to the age of 65. So, you know, you can have situations where like you mentioned stroke, for example, de- you know, incapacitating somebody from not only from making their own decisions but also being able to not work for an extended period, then they can get you know, eligible for Medicare which opens up an entirely different pathway in terms of, you know, how they would how they would pay for their healthcare costs.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why the guardians, um, you know, it's a very broad um, responsibility and important responsibility. And based on all of those variables that you just talked about, you know, somebody who's then thrusted into this position, really needs to employ um, experts such as yourself, um, attorneys to help them through the process. Um, And, you know, a person's um, condition can change and, um, you know, estate planning and, and, healthcare coverage, all of that is fluid, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this goes back to, or comes back around to what you do generally, uh, you know, during the break, you mentioned the fact that a lot of what we had talked about as far as these nuances of guardianship could have been avoided in advance. That's the case, is it, from what I understood. Is that right?
1: Right. So, if something happens, if someone has the foresight to say they're going to go ahead and get their estate plan put in place, one of the most important documents with an estate plan isn't the will, okay? It right. is the healthcare power of attorney. Who could make medical decisions for me if I become incapacitated? And Also, a general durable power of attorney, the general durable power of attorney, um, the person who's appointed the attorney, in fact, will be in charge of making financial and legal decisions for that individual. Now, the financial general durable power of attorney, that document can be effective immediately. So you don't have to prove incapacity to have somebody act as your attorney, in fact, under a general durable power of attorney. finances. You can go ahead and delegate that to someone, but your healthcare decisions, you know, that is personal to you. Sure. That is not something someone can, you know, make decisions for you if you have mental capacity. Okay. Right. So in order to use the healthcare power of attorney, that person has to have the inability to speak and make sound decisions for themselves.
0: And if they're able to do so, then at that point, However, you would be able to get a, not get around is the wrong, you know, because it implies like you're trying to circumvent something, but you would prevent the controversies that you know have affected Britney Spears at this time or not. I'm not sure; it's not clear to me.
1: Okay, and that's that's a really good uh, point, Jay, and I'm, I like the fact that you're going in that direction because you know, depending upon the individual, it it does happen. Um, there might be an individual who just isn't making good decisions for him or herself. And a lot of times it's with an aging parent. you know, they don't want to be in the nursing home. They want to go home, but it's not safe for them to be at home because they're going to fall and they're going to end up back in the hospital and, you know, they're going to go back and forth. So even though someone's appointed as the healthcare power of attorney, the patient advocate, um, sometimes it is necessary to go to court (laughs) At that time, to get a guardianship, so that they can then tell the individual, you know, or show the individual, to show the doctors that that individual can no longer make their own medical decisions, and I am going to be speaking for the for him or her, um, and watching out for his Hmm. or her care and custody and well-being.
0: You know, normally when we think about estate planning, you know, we're most people are kind of like wrap that into a time frame when they're considering retirement or, you know, kind of preparing for retirement. Um, is that generally what you found? Is there any, how successful is, do you think that yourselves as attorneys in this, in your niche practice, in your niche corner of the world, how effective do you think that you are, have been in communicating this to people in our age division, for example, in younger?
1: <laughs> um, I wish I could get through to the people in our generation and younger because, I mean, everybody's just so busy and it's something that they put off and put off and put off. Sure. But there are actually two points in time um, that people do consider estate planning. And yes, retirement age is certainly one of them. Mm-hmm. The other one is when individuals start a new family and then they become concerned about if they end up passing away, having minor children, how will the minor, minor children be cared for? And although we're really talking about adult guardianship, um, we have been talking about up to this point, there is the need sometimes for minor guardianships. So if mom and dad pass away, or if mom and dad are incapacitated, part of an estate plan, a person can appoint who they would want to be as guardian of their children.
0: It's an interesting point because, you know, like I said, we're so accustomed, or certainly I am, you know, as a Medicare person, Medicare, you know, as this author and always making comments, those I get linked, but you're really saying that this is much broader, far number, wider number of cases. It just so happens that this Britney case has, the Britney Spears case has pushed this to the limelight, you know. Whether or not it's been that pleasant to read or not is that you know it's kind of slightly different. So, so if generally, if we go back to the retirement age persons, uh, you know, we hear I see lots of advertisements, a lot of advertisements about the idea that well, protect your assets, um, you know, through the state planning. Mm-hmm. How are the rules? From state to state i've always been curious are the rules from state to state wildly different from one another
1: are you talking about just estate planning yeah in in the
0: sense of you know certain elder law attorneys are are out there stating in public in advertisements that they can shield assets you know from from these set of expenses from you know nursing homes for example
1: okay So that specific question um, regarding Medicaid and um, nursing home costs. Yes, the the laws are different from state to state. Now, I know that some states have a higher income threshold. Um, So, for instance, Florida, if you earn a certain income, then you're not going to be eligible. Here in the state of Michigan, the income threshold is Whatever the monthly cost of care is at the nursing home, so if the nursing home is cost is charging you ten thousand dollars for private pay or eight thousand dollars for private pay, most people who are going to be placed in a nursing home don't have eight or nine thousand dollars a month income. Right. Okay. So then, really, the focus becomes you're not looking at income-based Medicaid. You're looking at well, what what is the threshold for being eligible, you know, asset-wise, and. You know, in Michigan, you know, your assets, your countable assets are only at $2,000 and that number hasn't changed in decades. So it's a very, very low amount of money that an individual is able to keep. So a lot of people look to what kind of strategies can be put in place to preserve assets. And um, there is a lot of information out there about trusts, But depending upon the kind of trust that you have, you know, Putting money aside into a trust that you have access to um, isn't going to work because it's still countable towards you. If you take money and you put it into a trust that you don't have access to, then that's considered a divestment, it means you've given your money away to another person. And the state of Michigan has a five year look back period. So if you have the foresight of, you know, maybe you've been diagnosed with a disease that. You believe is going to be progressive, um, such degenerative over
0: time, right?
1: Mm-hmm. So, at the onset of the diagnosis, you may go ahead and do some planning to set the money aside into a trust that someone else is going to manage for you, and that way that those assets are protected. But then you have to look at well, what assets are you going to put in this trust? If they're qualified assets, you know, if you're, if they're in an IRA, if they're your retirement accounts putting them into a separate account, a separate trust, you're going to have a tax consequence. Sure. So you really need to be careful. You have to deal with somebody who is very qualified in this area of law to be able to do the planning. Um, So every case is going to be different. There isn't a magic wand that you can wave and say, I'm going to protect all your assets from Medicaid. Um, It is not just state you know, state by state driven. It is case by case driven on what a strategy might be.
0: And just for our listeners and you know, our audience, you know, Kim pointed out a nuance that I've always pointed out in this channel, which is that uh, you pointed out that moving the assets from to one where they don't control kicks off a tax implication, and that's absolutely right. Meaning that, and so for persons who have an IRA or 401k you're changing the owner. And the only way to change the owner is to first receive the assets to your own name. That's a tax event. And Mm -hmm. then move it to this other legal structure that Kim referred to. And so you can, and you know, Kim, you've not been here as I've been sitting here on my soapbox saying that we've got these topics that people like to keep in silos. But now you see immediately the interaction because here, a legal structure that you might recommend, now all of a sudden may or may not work because of your investment strategy and the way that, you know, the assets are qualified or non-qualified, for example, in that instance. So you've got a number of layers to really consider when you're putting these different pieces into place. So I'm glad, so I'm glad you've, you know, interjected with this, whether you knew so. Yeah, I, I didn't plant <laughs> this with you, so, you know, so- but certainly that is, you know, definitely part of it. So from what <clears throat> I always wonder, because the countable asset question, <coughs> excuse me, the, mm-hmm. uh, that the promises that we see or see on advertisements from, attorneys and you know you're an attorney and there are advertisers from people who say that are medicare experts so i mean you know we are all get lumped together at some level by something what's kim's personal reaction then when you see these types of advertising overly aggressive from from kim's point of view or it's really there's a hook so somebody calls to lead them to potentially some better information how do you personally kind of see
1: that? Um, Well, I mean, I see, and I know a lot of attorneys that do that. Um, I personally don't do that. Um, I do more reactive planning, um, but I do try to educate people who, you know, do have, you know, change in life circumstances. You know, anytime that somebody has a change in life circumstance, they should be seeking out advice. And I do offer, you know, free one hour, you know, consultation to talk about what's happening in that individual's life and what they can do. So for instance, if somebody has this progressive disease, Mm -hmm. I would certainly look at their assets and and discuss how to protect them. But they actually market, you know, broadly to tell people that I can go ahead and and shelter their assets um, for Medicaid. I, I personally don't do that.
0: Right. Let's go back to how people get a hold of you, Kim. I thank you so much for your time. You know, we're almost out of it. How do people get a hold of you? Uh, I I know that you've got a website and things like that. Why don't you tell us about it?
1: Sure. I have a website. You can reach me at Great Lakes Family Probate and Estates. And you can go ahead and give my office a call. We're at 888-554-5373.
0: I'll be sure to include that in the description you know, both in the podcast as well as in video form. So people will be able to get a hold of you. Did I miss something for this first conversation, Kim?
1: I don't think so. But you do have a certain hook there for elder um, law and talking about Medicaid planning. There's a lot that we can actually discuss. There's a lot of different strategies that are available.
0: Let's reconvene and and talk about that at a future (laughs) date.
1: All right. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Jay.
0: Well, thank you very much to Kim Browning for joining me on the Much More Than Medicare podcast. Be sure to leave your five-star review on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. I'm Jay. Thanks for joining me. Speak soon.